Welcome back to This Sacred Life. I'm Shan Vanderleek, and today I'm speaking with Becca Piastrelli, author of Root and Ritual. Becca guides us to understanding true belonging to each other, to the earth, to our lineage, and to ourselves. As the author of Root and Ritual, Timeless Ways to Connect with Land, Lineage, Community, and the Earth, Becca supports us through the isolating effects of the modern world with rituals, recipes, and ancestral wisdom, all as tangible pathways back to connection and wholeness. Welcome to The Sacred Life, Becca. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you here. And before we came together this afternoon, I got still and pulled a goddess card for our time together. And Mother Mary, expect a miracle came up. Mm-hmm. Have faith that your prayers have been heard and are being answered. Quite a powerful card to support our time together today. Mm-hmm. Does that call anything forward for you? Mm-hmm. Yes, this mother archetype is one I'm really stepping into. I'm 18 months postpartum with my daughter mm-hmm. and have been in in the grieving process of grieving my maidenhood and really just accepting that that part of my life is complete and then stepping into this, you know, more expansive uh, space of, of being mother, but, but allowing it to be a gentle becoming uh, because it takes time to recover from birth and baby time and tending to myself. And so it's made me just so porous and sensitive to like all the babies and all the mothers Mm -hmm. and all the babies we are and all the mothers we had or didn't have. And just particularly feeling tender to the babies and mothers in Ukraine today, just really feeling the impacts of war on these beings who are tending to and being new life. And you're also in this place of rebirthing yourself. Yes, in a big way. In a big, big way. I saw a picture posted on social media of a number of baby carriages. I saw that that too. Did you see that? That were on the platform at the train station and left behind by Polish women for any of the Ukrainian moms that needed them. And I just, so moving. It got me too. (laughs) Yeah, it got me too for sure. I want to congratulate you on your success with Root and Ritual. Thank you. It's just a a wonderful book, and it truly includes timeless teachings. You know, you can say that as a promotion, right? (laughs) But it it really is. And the -hmm. way that you've divided it, the way that it's put together between land and lineage and community and self, it's just very clever, very supportive, and such a beautiful guide. I'd like you to tell us a little bit about your journey in writing this book. And then as a follow-up, dive into what you mean when you talk about returning to ourselves, returning home to ourselves. Hmm. Yeah. Well, this book really is a summation of maybe the last 30 years of my life and uh, a real realization that we live in what is known as the Aramacene or the age of loneliness that great thinkers and activists are now calling this time 
I remember when I heard that something lit up inside of me and it just felt true that we are more technologically connected now in the span of human history, we have this ability in recent human history to measure mental health and that there has been a real increase in a sense of despair and loneliness and depression and anxiety. And, and that's all contextualized by the history of, of humanity. It's been, it's contextualized, particularly those of us in the industrialized world with going back a long time to separation of us from our original home, which is the living world. This term nature is actually a colonial term as if it's separate from us mm-hmm. going out into nature. I mean, I say it now too, but as if we are not wild, as if we are not of the living world. At one point, we knew the names of the trees and which plants were poisonous and uh, which plants would nourish us and uh, tracking the sun and the moon and the waters and the the soils and all of that. And, and then from there, separating us from each other. We are communal beings, you know, we, we thrive on being connected to each other. Like that is, that is measured physiologically in our bodies in particularly the industrialized world, this real encouragement and forcing of us to separate from like clan or tribal or communal ways of living into this like hyper individualist, like single family home. You've got to do it alone. Cars happen. So we weren't seeing each other on the street. You know, if you track history, you can see how we've just been isolated, particularly as a new mother. I felt how wrong that felt in my body in the Mm -hmm. deepest way possible in the first, you know, months after I had my child in peak pandemic times, early lockdown. And I just felt like this is inhumane. This is wrong. This hurts too much. This book, which was written before having my child, but just reinforces timeless. That's what I mean with this. It's timeless. It's not just true of now. It's always been true that we have been uprooted from our sense of home, whatever that means, whether it's in a group of people chosen or of blood from our ancestors, from our ancestral lands, from the living world, um, from our own sense of sovereignty from our own sense of worthiness. There's a lot there. So there is. And to unpack it is is something else. I remember sitting in my very first woman's circle many, many moons ago. And I don't know how far into our journey we were together, but it dawned on me that until making that choice, until stepping in, I hadn't allowed myself to be vulnerable. I hadn't allowed myself to ask for help. Mm -hmm. I had created this very strong, armored, striving person. And and I love her and and she was wonderful. And I'm I'm grateful to have bid her farewell (laughs) Mm -hmm. to become who I am now. But I just remember so much coming forward through our sharing and through our the the remembering of the way that my parents grew up and her parents grew up and even and how they all looked after each other and the grandparents lived with the parents of and it was that was just a natural thing to do for everyone to be together and and learning to make authentic Lithuanian food with my grandma Mm. and just all of those things that are, it's not to say that it's not happening today, but there's so much less of of that happening today as we're all 
spun off doing our own thing. So just listening to you. And, and I hadn't heard that expression before either. And when I read it, I resonated deeply as well when you were talking about the age of loneliness. Mm -hmm. What clues can we learn from our ancestors about combating this loneliness? Yeah, well, we all come from a lot of ancestors who lived in a lot of different times on this planet and a lot of different lands. So there is that nuance uh, that I want to bring to this. And in the lineage section of the book, I invite the reader to really explore what feels right and true for them as far as connecting with their ancestors. But there are some universal principles uh, that have been tracked through the practice of indigenous science, which is from Apela, Colorado, and, and other ways anthropologically, we've been able to look to the ways when I say our ancestors lived, I'm thinking about uh, hunter gathering, I'm thinking about agrarian farming, I'm thinking about pre conquest old Europe for those of us who have ancestors of old Europe, uh, which is a term from amazing thinker named Maria Gimbutas. I'm thinking about the ways one, the land was a place of, of home and a place of connection, a place of aliveness, of kinship. And that has lasted for some people until now. And I know for a lot of people, including me, that was completely severed. I grew up just being like outside is scary or dirty. I mean, I can remember to being a young child and being like enamored with things, but it gave way to like TV and malls and things. And, and that is what it is. But for us to come back into connection with the land in particular is to remember the, what our ancestors knew and that that is alive in our DNA, I believe. Mm -hmm. And if epigenetics, you know, proves that trauma is passed down, I believe this knowledge and wisdom is also passed down that we can remember that the trees, uh, help each other heal and that we are like trees too. And that the mycelium is alive beneath the soil, even in the concrete jungle, and that we can be mycelium too. And it's just a really beautiful journey to walk down, mm -hmm. uh, that can even see the trees and the mycelium as ancestors too, because they truly are, but it is an individual journey because everyone's got their own traumas, access to information, things that resonate. And my hope in reading the book is that you just sort of follow what pings and see what comes of it. I do a lot of work with my lineage and have for many years and have a living altar for mm. them. And it's something that brings me a sense of peace and connection. And when my father passed away about six years ago, I found this folder of writing and he had taken the time to write a paragraph or more on each ancestor that he could learn about through mothers and fathers and grandfathers and aunts and uncles and so on going back um, in some cases more than five generations. And it was just such a gift yeah. to be able to read his, you know, just to see his writing, of course, and then to learn more about these people that, you know, I may have a picture of one or two of, but that had been kind of lost in the, in the time that goes by, the, the little bits that are passed on. And 
and to just think about their experiences and to know that the work that I'm doing is healing both forward and backward seven generations. And just to be in that space of, of awe and wonder. And then of course, to expand that out even further to go well beyond my lineage, but to the people of this land, to, you know, just all of it, to be in awe and wonder of, and coming back to coming back home. Mm -hmm. What a gift that uh, piece of writing was. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. What a gift. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about ancestral artifacts and how I really feel and know that of the living relatives of the living ancestors, like I'm clearly the collector of bones. Like I'm clearly the one who cares about this stuff. And so Mm -hmm. I'm keeping the artifacts and preserving the artifacts and then thinking about what of my life is an ancestral artifact. What will, you know, the future descendants, however, whoever they are and however they look, what will they uncover that I can share of our people Mm -hmm. uh, embodying the ancestor today. And I, yeah. And keeping that sense of awe of like, wow, we're alive because these people (laughs) lived whatever story they live, you know, the full humanity of, of one ancestor and think about the millions of them. It's yeah. It's, it can bring you to your knees and wonder. Yeah. Mm. How are you inviting the sacred into your life every day? Oh my gosh. I used to have so many practices. I used to have such a devotional life to the sacred. And then I had a baby (laughs) (laughs) and it all got obliterated. (laughs) I mean, truly. Yeah. Yeah. I say that with a smile on my face. I really really do see how important that initiation has been for me in the rite of passage, right? Into Mm -hmm. mother. And so there's less time, there's less energy. But there's still these fundamental, if anything, it refined for me what is actually sacred, which as opposed to what I was performing sacred. Yes. Or what I read or saw to be sacred. I'm grateful for it because it's, it's less, it's actually more life-giving in that way. So yeah, my ancestor altar used to be so ornate. (laughs) Now it's just like, it's a few pictures and it's my grandmother's pocket watch and it's the dried umbilical cord that connected me and my, my child. And there it is every day. I light a candle there. Thank you. That's it. Thank you. And it's pouring. I, I make an infusion of nettle every night before I go to bed. And it's like pouring the nettle infusion into a Mason jar and drinking it in and asking like the nettles and the roots and the soils and everything that went to grow that nettle to to nourish my body, to drink the wild in, to help me remember my wild. And I'd say those are the most consistent ones Mm -hmm. that I can commit to, whether I'm bleeding or haven't slept or my child's teething, those two things can happen. Right. And those two things can happen and those two things are enough. Yes. Those two things are enough. I think we can get really caught up in like, am I doing it right? Is this the thing? Do I need to make it more complicated? Mm-hmm. And it's um, it's really grounding and supportive and regulating of our nervous system when we can empower ourselves to remember that we can create our own ritual, that mm-hmm. we are sacred beings, that we don't need to have any sort of certification or 
regalia to bring that into our lives. And the self-honoring is an incredible gift when you're making the nettle. Mm -hmm. I make a lot of tinctures and teas and um, Mm -hmm. throughout this winter, I've been mixing up what I call liquid gold and I make it once a week and then it lasts for the week for my family and I. What's in it? And it's um, it's fresh turmeric and fresh ginger and lemons and limes and sometimes oranges, sometimes pineapples. And it's a little bit of black pepper, a tiny bit of coconut oil to make sure that the turmeric does its job. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and so I make a tea out of that. And I always enjoy the first, I strain it and have just a lovely cup of tea and then I cool it, put it all in the blender and make it as fine as I can and then strain it Mm -hmm. and put it in the refrigerator and we do liquid gold shots in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) And I always have an extra bottle for my neighbor, Janae, who is just like, yes, please. There's always, there's always extra for you, Janae. And so, you know, it's that kind of, it's, it feel, it's such a, a sacred honoring to do it mm-hmm. and and to to be able to gift it as well and to know that this little bit of gold is maybe supporting all of our immune systems in some way and and what have you but yeah so listening to you talk about the nettle and I love nettle as well yeah. that's uh thank you for mentioning having an extra bottle for your neighbor that's such a beautiful example of community care and it's also, uh, I think, such an ancestral practice for for winter in particular, uh, of making sure we we all get through mm-hmm. the hardest season. And uh, I think a lot of us, especially in pandemic times, were sort of like avoiding each other's bodies and, you know, what's what are we allowed to do? And so there was like a leaving people alone energy. And I'm really interested in how we can revive this sense of community care and like bringing liquid gold to the houses or saying you can stop by any time or like when you're making lasagna or granola, make an extra batch and drop it off or going to the grocery store, texting and saying, do you need anything? I'm going there anyways. Like these practices yeah. all feel as sacred to oh, me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And at the at the height of the pandemic, we we um, have a fence that separates us, and so we would go have tea over the fence, right? Oh, yeah. So, so we were keeping our distance, but we were still able to enjoy each other's company and laugh and or build a campfire and and just kind of sit around the fire and be. Be mindful of where everybody was at, kind of in this space of, oh my goodness, you know, is this really going on? What's happening? And it wasn't a lot, but it was enough that kept us from going mad, you know, to uh-huh. to, to be able to not just be the two of us, my husband and I, and in, in our home being stir crazy. My husband's very uh, gregarious and outgoing, and I can be. I'm I'm more introverted, but mm. to for him to be able to do that with just that little bit of time and and for all of us to just look after each other we we deserve it and those that we love deserve it and there's something so beautiful in that gifting and receiving and it's such a natural thing to do oh yeah oh yeah coming together and and helping each other 
and receiving help from each mm-hmm. other. Yeah. I've really been in that. I'd say that's another one of my sacred practices is, is being, I, I am really interested. Um, a woman named Jesse Harold, who has a podcast called becoming introduced this concept to me called nonlinear reciprocity that, um, you know, we understand reciprocity is like, I give to you and you give to me and we help each other in that way, but that it doesn't always need to be transactional. You give me a bottle of liquid gold and I have to look around the house and be like, what do I have to give you? You know, it's right, that right. I'm in a moment of need. Like, let's say I'm sick and you bring over the liquid gold and the nettle tea and this chicken soup. And I receive that. And then at some point I know that you're going to be in need. And I come to to you if I have the resources and energy, like if I feel resource and support you or someone else does even. Right. And that it's all reciprocal in a nonlinear web. Yeah. And that's really helped me, you know, in this coming home to myself, coming home to ancestral ways, to rooting myself back in is to, is to remember that, that life and community isn't necessarily transactional, which was, you know, what our system would tell us. So I found that to be sneaky, particularly when I was in so much need, bottomless need. Yeah. And I watched myself struggle with all the receiving and realizing it's my turn to receive. Mm. (laughs) I can (laughs) so relate to that. Yeah. When you hear the phrase walking in beauty, to walk in beauty, what comes up for you? Hmm. I'm thinking of a song by uh, Pia, Blessed We Are. She talks Mm. about walking in beauty and I sing that song a lot with my women's circle. We have song circles, so that is what came to mind. Gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, walk in beauty. Yeah, to see life as a living poem, to see life as art, to see us as beauty makers. It's so, it softens the edges, you know. It really does. Of walking through life or feeling. I often talk about and contend with urgency culture of rushing and of the haphazard chaos that I can leave in my wake when I'm rushing. And Mm -hmm. I think to walk in beauty is to walk at an earth's pace, is to honor exactly what is true in the moment. Even if it's messy, there is a beauty in that mess. There really is. Mm-hmm. When you brought up rushing, I <laughs> also was thinking of a of another chapter in my life where I just had some sort of affinity, addiction, whatever, to that rush, to that yeah. stress, to that going, 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 doing, doing, running late, needing this, just flying through the house like a tornado and leaving everybody in my wake, you know, having no idea that I've just kind of knocked them all out as I'm yeah. leaving, leaving the house, you know? I do. And, and then to get to that point where, you're, where you allow yourself to slow down and realize that that is something that you've created that is not necessary that doesn't feed you well, that only creates more stress and only gives more stress to others when you're behaving in that manner. Mm. It's, quite, it's quite humbling. It is very humbling. There's like a cultural narrative of like hustle and like, yeah, yeah, keep up. Ooh, yeah, keep going. Yeah, and yeah. Then, what have you done for me lately? Yeah. 
<laughs> to be like, oh, what what harm does this cause? Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Or that must be very stressful. Oh, no, not at all. Oh, know, that's just, just what I do. Yeah. <laughs> totally. I know. Yeah. The way we, it becomes part of our identity. Yeah. yeah right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'd love for you to share some examples that whatever comes up right now for you of any ritual or recipe or activity or more than one that can really help us feel a deeper sense of connection and meaning in our lives. Because I know that you have a a number of them to choose from, but whatever might come up for you now. Mm -hmm. So where I am on the earth right now, I'm in the Northern Hemisphere uh, in Coast Miwok land, Northern California, just north of modern day San Francisco. Spring is starting to bloom here. I know where you are in Northern Michigan. It is not. Well, maybe rumblings, quickening, right? Quickening right. might be happening. Yeah. So what I'm doing right now is I'm observing the bioregion. I'm observing exactly where I am on earth. I think a lot of us in on this like sacred spirituality and seasonal living path can be very caught up in the wheel of the year and what things are supposed to be like, or maybe what our ancestors lived. Like I think often with like the Celtic uh, festivals of like Imbolc and Mm-hmm. And Samhain of like, this day means this. I love that work. And I love connecting to, um, you know, the what my ancestors observed in the lands they were on. And I think a lot of the missing piece for us is, is a lot of us don't live on the lands our ancestors are from. And the land needs our love. The land needs our relationship with it. Mm-hmm. I'm naming things I know of the land I'm on right now. So I... I'm looking out a window at a beautiful, tall black oak, which is native to this land. It's very, very tall. And it's just starting to bloom its oak leaves. And all the squirrels, I can tell it must be delicious. I know that new <laughs> leaves new leaves are sweeter. It can, uh, greens get bitter the more they grow. So it must be quite sweet and nourishing to them. And they've lasted through the rainy cold winter here and I love this tree I want to go touch this tree later why don't I touch this tree more I want to touch this tree thank this tree I wonder how deep its roots go I want to put my back to this tree I want to hug this tree I want to cry on this tree offer my tears gratitude for this tree the oxygen I breathe that this tree gives I want to offer my blood to this tree I want to offer my hair to this tree. This is a practice I offer to your listeners. Hmm. I just did it intuitively. Yeah. <laughs> I just said things. And I even if you live in a city, there are trees, there are bush. Even if someone planted it, it isn't like, you know, natively wild. Even natively wild things were planted by hands. Right. And yeah, and just observe, observe. You know, and with climate change, you know, seasons shift. But the, the earth is still here and alive and needs our, us to be with it, be in love, be in relationship with it or her, if that feels yes. right for you. Always, always open to our contributions. Yes. And what you just shared was so lovely. And it, it makes me think of the over 100-year-old maple trees that are on the land here mm. and the altars that 
I set up and the time that I spend with these trees. And there was this lovely, lovely maple that it had a giant quartz inside of this tree. It was like, what? I don't, it, it was somebody had put it inside and it was probably wow. the size of your head. It was bigger than that. So it was this giant quartz crystal. And I would walk. And every day I would walk, I would stop. And I would put my hand on the crystal. And I would put my hand on the on the tree wow. and thank this tree and thank the person who put it there. Because I know they, were, they put it there probably to help the tree survive. Mm. And I did this for years, Becca. And mm. one day, they were cutting that tree down. Oh. And I was so upset yeah. <laughs> and like so incredibly trashed that this was happening. I mean, just I couldn't couldn't believe it. And walked over and and um, the the person who lives on the land now, I wasn't the first person that had a question about it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, she said that the root structure was upending this building and that it was either she either had to tear the building down or cut the tree down and of course my thought was well <laughs> yeah tear the, tear the building down you know? move <laughs> move right because it yeah. wasn't her house it was like the garage or the carriage house or whatever it was but she kindly offered me a couple of pieces of this beautiful tree and then she saved a big piece of it and put it right in the front of her home for herself, of course, and for all the people who had honored that tree because it wasn't an easy choice for her to make. Mm. So I got to take a piece of that tree to circle and I got to bless it and burn it with witnesses and share a, a beautiful poem. I wish I could I wish I could recite it to you now because it was it was about a, a fabulous tree and Oftentimes when we would get together, we would just choose poems to read. You didn't know which one you were going to get. Yeah. And, and I, of course, got that one. Oh. And so we have relationships with these tree beings, and they're, they're beautiful and, and meaningful. Mm. Thank you for that story. You took me on a ride. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Oh, like I was there. Like, <laughs> all unfold. I think that's a beautiful example of yeah, us being in relationship with the earth. You know, there's a, there was a grief, right? There was a totally. grief expression. You know, to you saw that tree as what it was—a living being—and you could feel the pain of like a living being. You know, in a world that didn't value it. You know, as as much as the you know the the house and it's like a hard decision and we understand it's complicated, but that you could be in that ritual of grieving as if, you know, a beloved friend died because a beloved friend did die. Right. And that, yeah. What if we could all get back to that? That's where the magic is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Becca, thank you so much for spending some time with me today on the sacred life. I've enjoyed our conversation so much. Me too. Wow. What a treat. Yeah. Well, I wish you all the best. Your book is amazing and it's going to help so many come home to themselves. Oh, thank you. That is my hope. That was Becca Piastrelli. Get a copy of her new book, Root in Ritual, at Amazon or wherever books are sold. 
and be sure to listen to her fabulous podcast, Belonging, wherever podcasts are playing.